Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As mentioned before, the scripture text that will serve as the basis of our meditation this morning, as we consider the theme, No More Excuses, is our first reading for today from Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Dear friends in Christ, if you were here two weeks ago, which was the last time I preached, hopefully you can recall that in my sermon that morning, we talked a lot about, about a real practical approach to ministry, and we looked at some of the common reasons that people give these days for not going to church, and that requires a real practical approach to ministry. We answered those excuses, if you'll remember correctly, uh, from what I believe was a very biblical perspective as well as a very common sense point of view. Now, in case you weren't here that morning, let me just briefly run through those five excuses that we looked at that morning. I work hard all week long, and Sunday is my only morning to sleep in. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. There are too many hypocrites in church. I can worship God out in nature while golfing or fishing. And then the last one, which is really the most common one that I hear these days, is I don't have an excuse. If you want to know how we answered those common excuses, you can find that that uh, sermon on our church's website at salemlc.org where it appears in both printed and audio forms. But all of those excuses reminded me of this little pamphlet that I came across many, many years ago, and I've hung on to ever since. It's beginning to show some signs of age. But this pamphlet, on the first part of it, the, the outside cover shows the, uh, a picture of two very large church doors open so you can walk in. And it says, look inside for reasons for not going to church. And you open it up, and voila, it's blank. And then on the back it says, there are no reasons. Now I guess I would take issue with that. I do believe that there can be some very good, valid, and legitimate reasons for missing church on Sunday morning. Uh, for example, if you have the flu or some other contagious illness, it'd probably be best and wise of you to stay home, keep those germs in your household rather than transmitting them to everybody here. I also know of people who have to work on Sundays, and therefore they can't make it to church. It was 38 years ago on February 22, 1981, that I do recall Marilyn and I missed church, but I thought we had a pretty legitimate reason for doing that because I'd taken her to the hospital that morning in Fort Wayne, Indiana, because she was in heavy labor, and we were awaiting the birth of our firstborn child that day. And she was born at 9.12 later on that night. Well, having answered all of those common excuses that people give for not coming to church, I want to shift gears completely this morning. I want to give to you some great reasons why we should go to church as often as possible. And I want to begin by asking you to imagine for a moment that God appears to you one day. And almost like the proverbial genie out of a bottle, he says to you, I have come to you today to tell you that I will grant you whatever your heart desires. What would you ask for under those circumstances? Perhaps a huge windfall of cash to come floating down into your bank account so that you could retire right now and and spend the rest of your life without ever having a financial worry again? Or how about a, a brand new house complete with everything you've always wanted in a home but that your current house is lacking? Or how about a nice shiny new car with a high-powered stereo and moonroof and built-in GPS? 
I really believe that given the option, most people would probably ask for something on the material side of life if they could ask for anything. But that's not what David did. In Psalm 27, verse 4, it sounds as though God was giving David the opportunity to ask for one thing and God would give it to him. You'll never guess what David asks for. In verse 4 of that passage, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You understand what David was actually saying there? He was saying, if I could make one request of the Lord, this is what it would be, that I could go to church every day. Now, some of you are probably thinking, is this guy crazy? Is this guy for real? I mean, if you could ask for anything that you wanted, including those material things that we mentioned just a few moments ago, who in their right mind would ask to be in church, not just every Sunday, but every day of their life? Well, apparently David had some good reasons for feeling that way. So I want to spend the rest of my time this morning taking a look at five great reasons why we should go to church. Reason number one, it disciplines us to worship God. One thing that I've discovered over 38 years in the ministry is that going to church is one of the easiest habits to get out of, but it's also one of the most difficult habits to get back into again. I've found that if a person misses, or a family, misses church for three Sundays in a row, I'd better be on the phone or contacting them in some way or another, because if they miss that fourth Sunday in a row, then it seems like they're going to be gone for a long while if they ever come back to church at all. I don't know why that's true, but it's just an observation that I've made over all my years in the ministry. And that's why we need the discipline of weekly worship. It's really no different than your job. If your boss left it up to you as to when you come in for work, I may be wrong here, but in all likelihood, your attendance would probably be hit and miss at your job. But because he requires you to be there every day that you're scheduled to work or else suffer some major consequences if you're not there, which may include the loss of your job, that disciplines you to set your alarm when you go to bed at night, to get up when the alarm goes off in the morning, to get ready for work, and then to arrive at work when you're supposed to. Same thing holds true with school. If you as a parent told your child that you're going to leave it up to them this school year, which starts pretty soon here, as to when they go to school, do you think your child would be disciplined enough to go every day? Probably not. And here's the kicker. The more frequent your child would miss school, the more easy he or she would find it to miss school. Same thing holds true with church. If you miss church regularly, then it's going to be very difficult for you to get back into the routine, back into the habit of attending church. And so we need to be in church every Sunday that we can possibly be there to keep us disciplined in our worship of God. Now, some of you are probably thinking, yeah, I understand all of that. And I had actually people, I have had people say this to me. I understand all of that, Pastor, but I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says you have to go to church. I would beg to differ with that person and their viewpoint. Right now, we're studying the third commandment where God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what exactly was the purpose of the Sabbath day? Well, according to Leviticus 23, verse 3, the Sabbath day served a twofold purpose. There it says, the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest 
a day of sacred assembly. And so for starters, the Sabbath day is a day of rest. It's a day in which you take time out from your busy work routine that you've been going through for the past six days or so, and then you just relax. You allow your body the opportunity to refresh and rejuvenate itself for the coming work week. But there's more. The Sabbath day was also to be a day of sacred assembly, a time in which God's people gather together for the high and holy purpose of worshiping him. And so you need to ask yourself, am I keeping the Sabbath day holy when I absent myself from worship on a regular basis? When I, when I stay away from that time of sacred assembly? And you know the answer to that question. Of course you're not keeping the Sabbath day holy under those circumstances. And if you need another passage to kind of drive this home to you even more, to reinforce what we've just been talking about, how about Hebrews 10, verse 25, where it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more. As you see the day approaching, the day there refers to the day of the Lord, the last day of judgment. Now that word encourage that the writer uses there really leads right into another good reason why we should attend church regularly. Now I'm going to call this one mutual encouragement. Let's face it, there is something about worshiping with a church full of God's people that is both uplifting and encouraging. If you're truly serious about your Christianity, it's nice to know that you're surrounded by other people who are equally or maybe even more so serious about their Christian faith. Because then you don't feel all alone. You don't feel like you're the only one. And by the way, that's something that can happen pretty easily in our day and age where we find more and more people gravitating away from regular worship in God's house and kind of doing their own thing if they're doing anything at all. A few years ago, I, I read a very interesting book that was written by, believe it or not, a female college student whose name was Abby Nye. The title of the book was Fish Out of Water. Now, Abby is a very strong Christian young lady, and in, in that book, she describes what it was like for her to leave behind her Christian home and family and the church in which she had raised that she had attended all of her life and go off to a secular university campus where she found that Christian faith that she held so near and dear to her heart being challenged, attacked, mocked and vilified from the day, almost the moment that she set foot on campus. Hence the title of her book. She felt like a fish out of water on that college campus. But then when she started attending a good Bible-based, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching and Bible-teaching church, she found that she wasn't the only one that was uh, a Christian on that campus. And the encouragement that she got out of those worship services helped to sustain her throughout the rest of the week. But not only is it encouraging for you to worship with a church full of God's people, you can't imagine what that does for your pastor. May I be very frank and personal with you for just a moment? Without a doubt, the biggest burden that I carry in my ministry is surprisingly not for those who have lost loved ones. It's not for those who have major health problems or or marital problems, or work-related problems, or any other types of problems. Now, don't take that the wrong way. I care very deeply and very passionately about those people and all that they're going through. But nothing, nothing weighs more heavily on my heart day in and day out than those members in our congregation 
who have, for whatever reason, been absent from church. They're absent from church on a regular basis and who have resisted all efforts to try to get us to, or to try to get them to come back. It's hard for me to explain this or describe it to you, but sometimes the feeling that I have is almost overwhelming. It's almost suffocating because I want to reach these people. I want to have them back into the fold of God's people again, but they're putting up all kinds of walls and all kinds of obstacles to prevent that from happening. And yet I still feel responsible for them. I still feel that they're part of our church family. They're part of the flock that God has entrusted to my care. And so I worry about them. But I got to tell you something. When one of them responds positively and returns to this house of worship after all of our efforts to get them to come back, there are few things that are more encouraging, exciting, and igniting to me than that. And I can really understand what Jesus was talking about when he said in Luke 15, verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That takes us to a third reason why we should attend church regularly, and that would be because the church is a specified place where God's presence is seen and felt. Everything in this sanctuary points us to God, doesn't it? Everything in this sanctuary reminds us of him and all that he's done for us. For example, what's the first thing that catches your eye when you set foot inside of this sanctuary? It's that beautiful cut glass cross that we have in the front of the church. And that cross reminds us of the price that was paid and the sacrifice that was made by our Savior, Jesus Christ, to rescue and redeem us from the damning and eternal consequences of our sins. Then also up here in the front of the church, we have the altar. In Lutheran churches, the altar always stands for the, the presence of God in the midst of his people. That's why when Pastor Mike and I offer the prayers here, we don't pray out at you, but rather we face the altar because that's the symbol of God's presence. And then you look up there at that candle that burns there all the time. That's called the eternal light. It's left burning in our sanctuary at all times in order to remind us of the presence of Christ in this sanctuary, the ongoing, never-ending presence of Christ who once referred to himself as the light of the world. Then we got those two candles on the altar. They not only symbolize Jesus as the light of the world, but did you know that they also represent the two natures that were united in Christ, the human nature and the divine nature, the fact that he was both man and God at the same time. We could go on and on. The God-centered and Christ-centered hymns that we sing here point us to our Creator and Savior. The scripture lessons that we hear here, the sermons that are preached, the prayers that are prayed, are all done in order to take our minds off of all the garbage that exists outside of these church walls that's going on in our world today and to, to instead get our minds and our hearts and our eyes fixed and focused upon those things that matter for eternity. You can't get that anywhere else, my friends, at least not like you can get it here. Then a fourth reason. This is probably the most obvious reason why we should come to church is to worship God. I love the word worship. When you break it down, you discover that it comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, worth, W-E-O-R-T-H, and sipe, S-C-I-P-E, worth, sipe, or worth-ship, became the word worship. And worth and sipe, when you put them together, they mean the act of letting someone or something know how much they are worth to us. 
And so when we come to church to worship God, we are coming to let him know how much he's worth to us. Now think about that for a moment. If we don't come to church, if we use some of those excuses that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in my sermon, or if we say we're just too tired or, or too, uh, too worn out or, or, or too whatever, whatever the case, there are all kinds of too many's that we can be. But whenever we use those excuses, we are in essence letting God know that he's not really worth very much to us at all, whether we intend that or not. And that takes us to one more good reason why we should attend church regularly, and that is so that God might serve us. This, to me, is the best and most surprising part of worship. I say surprising because I have a feeling that if I would pass a piece of paper around to everybody here today and ask you to define what worship is, the vast majority of you would indicate in some way or another on that piece of paper that worship is something that we do for God. And yes, that is true. We just established that in our fourth point. But worship is also something that God does for us. And I believe the old German Lutherans really hit the nail on the head here and captured the essence of what worship really is when they came up with this word for worship, Gottesdienst. Gottes means God in, in German, and Dienst comes from the root word that means to serve. And so Gottesdienst means God serves. That's why I say this is the best part of worship. For every time the doors of our church are open for the purpose of worship, God promises that he's going to show up, that he's going to be there. He's going to meet with us there, and he's going to serve us there. Like Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So come, my friends, Come and let the one who loved you so much that he was willing to die for you on a cross serve you. Come and let the one who longs for you to spend eternity in his glorious and majestic presence speak to you regularly through his holy word. Come and let the one who called himself the good shepherd feed you with his life-giving and faith-strengthening sacrament that we'll be able to enjoy later on in our service. Come because God will be here for his people according to his own word and promise when they gather together in his house for his purposes. I want to close this sermon then by reading to you one more time our text for today, our Old Testament reading that I shared with you before. I think this is just a fantastic part of Scripture for those especially who question the, the value of, of going to church. Listen once again to what God says. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Put simply, Great things await those who remember the Sabbath day and who keep it holy. Amen.